enough, she would tell you all about it. <laughs> In addition to being a person who loved their family and did such a great job of raising such a big, beautiful family, um, she was also an entrepreneur. And she and, and Mike, in addition to raising family, uh, uh, owned a successful restaurant for 25 years in downtown Gadsden. And then later, uh, after retiring as a financial advisor, she kind of used one of her hobbies to open up Gadsden Variety Antique Mall, uh, which part antique mall, best place uh, to, to get a lunch or a piece of cake or play Mahjong. Uh, it was just, did a little bit of everything in casting variety, which is still going on today. Um, on top of all that, uh, active in the Gaston Restaurant Association, Women's Club, Altrusa, Antiquarian Society, Ballroom Dancing Society, and um, her church, which is where we sit today. She loved to volunteer. She was a go-to person. If you needed somebody to pray for you, she was a go-to person. If you needed somebody to do something, she would do it or she would volunteer Mike to do it. <laughs> he said, amen. I don't know if y'all heard that. <laughs> she loved spending time with her family more than anything else. Loved taking trips, loved doing things with them. Um, Sandy loved to make things beautiful. She was beautiful herself, and she loved to make everything around her beautiful. And that's what she did. Sandy was preceded in death by her father, R.D. Stancil, her brother, Ronnie Stancil, her son, Matthew Scott Self, and her grandson, Rowan Blevins. And Sandy has survived by Mike, her husband, her three children, Missy Davis, with her husband, Bobby, Mike Jr. with his wife, Beth, Mary Blevins with her husband, Michael, six grandchildren, Haley Davis, Connor Self, Riley Davis, John Wesley Self, Carly Davis, and Natalie Blevins. Also survived by her mother, Christine Father, uh, Christine Foster and her stepfather, Billy Ray Foster, her brother, Bill Stancil, her sisters, Susan Cruz, Eva Murray, Prissy Mitchell, Nancy Ulrich, and her sisters-in-law, Sue Phillips, Debbie Harrell, and numerous nieces and nephews. If it sounds like a big family, it is. It's a, it's a big and beautiful and loving family. I know this is a lot of names that I just read, but Sandy loved her family. She loved her community. She loved God. She loved y'all. And I'm glad that you're here as we celebrate her life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Almighty and everlasting God, you are our creator, you are the giver and preserver of all life. We confess to you today that we're sometimes slow to accept death as a part of life. 
and, and we confess our reluctance to let go and to commit to you those whom we love. We ask for your help today. We ask that you would restore our faith and that we could come to trust you in all of your loving care and your providence, Lord. We pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
so much, Ezra and Benny, that beautiful song. I want to say to, to Mike and to all the, the children and all the brothers and sisters and siblings and extended family, to all of the friends who are here today who are sometimes closer to us than our family, to all the aunts and uncles, to the whole community, to those who are watching by live stream who couldn't be here today. I want to say how, how much I grieve with you today and how much I am praying for you. And I am joined by literally hundreds of people who have been praying for you and praying for uh, Sandy as she was going through her, her illness and her time in the hospital. And um, I know words are not enough and you've been given more than just words because I know you've been shown support and love and really an outpouring of love and support uh, from a, a community that loves you dearly. I only got to know Sandy for three and a half years. Many of y'all have literally known her your whole life or her whole life, uh, but you don't have to know somebody your whole life to, to witness their uh, character. And that's what I saw in Sandy. Uh, I knew that when Sandy greeted me and when she gave me that big smile that she meant it. And she made me feel like she meant it. I knew that she loved me when she told me she loved me and she loved God and she loved her church. She didn't just say it, she lived it. And she showed it that way. She didn't just say she loved her family. She, she showed that she did. And she loved the people around her and she was good at showing people that. And that's um, part of her, her life. And she showed people that kind, of, that kind of light all the way up to the end of her life. Um, even when she was sick, even when she was in intensive care, and family, family knows this, and, and many of y'all didn't get to, to see her at that point, but I can still uh, hear her uh, in intensive care at UAB with all of the wires and all of the monitors and all of the things one has when you're in intensive care and having had brain surgery and all of the things that she was going on with, talking to the, that sweet blonde-headed nurse, trying to set her up with one of the grandsons or one of the <laughs> nephews. She knew every one of them by name and she, she was just baby this and honey that and, and um, that's just who she was. And that's one of the things that we'll miss so much. I just wanna share a single verse of scripture with you today. And it's one of those verses of scripture you don't even have to look up. John eleven thirty five 35 says, Jesus wept. Sometimes I think in all of our efforts to exalt the name of Jesus, to give him praise, which we should do all of that. And in all of our efforts to remember that Jesus was fully divine, was all of the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form we also forget sometimes that he was also 100% human. That's our confession, that he was 100% human, that he had feelings, that he 
had temptations and that he loved not just the whole world, but he loved individuals. Jesus had friends, people that he loved so much. And some of his closest friends were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Um, they were such good friends and they spent so much time together that when Lazarus got sick, we read about in John 11, when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha sent some helpers to tell Jesus and when they got to Jesus, they said, the one that you love is sick. They didn't even have to say Lazarus's name because they knew that Jesus would know and they knew that Jesus would come. But Jesus waited. He waited there where he was for two more days. And by the time they traveled to Bethany, Lazarus was already dead. And Martha ran out to meet Jesus. Martha was the kind of woman who was a very strong woman that always spoke her mind. Does anybody know anybody who's a very strong woman that always speaks her mind? I'm just saying we have quite a few of them around here. Martha runs up to Jesus and she just hits Jesus with this. Lord, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Even now, I know that whatever you ask God, he'll give it to you. If, if you read that the way I think it happened, you'll see there's just a little bit of edge. She's, Martha's just a little bit ticked off. You know, I don't think she said this in a little soft, tiny, calm voice. I think she knew Jesus well enough, Jesus knew her well enough, that all this raw emotion came out, and she just basically was saying, Jesus, why didn't you do something? Why didn't you do something? And what strikes me is that Jesus didn't say, Martha, how dare you? Martha, how dare you talk to me like that? Because, you know, Jesus can handle us and our emotions too. He can take us being a little bit miffed at him sometimes. Because honestly, if I just am just downright honest, that was one of the emotions that I experienced when Sandy uh, got sick and had to go to the hospital. And I just felt like this can't be, you know, this, this can't be. And then that little ticked off part of me was like, God, why Sandy? You know, why not some evil dictator halfway around the world? Why not some Al-Qaeda terrorist or something? Why do you have to take Sandy with such just a loving, bright, shining person? And then I, I know that Jesus understands that feeling and just like he understood Martha's pain, that he understands ours too. Jesus just said to Martha simply this, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yeah, I know that. I know about the resurrection on the last day. I've got all of that theology stuff down, Jesus. And Jesus said something then that I think we all need to hear. I know I do. He said in verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies and everyone who lives and believes in me will never never die 
And then he looked Martha right in the eye and he said, do you believe this? Do you believe this? So that's what I want to ask all of us today. I want to ask you, I want to ask myself, do you believe this? That Jesus is the resurrection and the life. That for those of who believe in him, physical death is not the end of the story. It doesn't get the last word. That passing from this life means passing into eternity. That there's more to life than just living and dying and breathing in and breathing out. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Every time that I stand and have to look into the mystery of death, I have to ask myself all over again, Sam, do you believe this? Do you believe? And over and over again, I have to say, like Martha did, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe. So why do I believe? A few years ago, there was a book that was very popular called 90 Minutes in Heaven. Did any of y'all ever read that book? It was very popular a few years ago. And then right after that, a couple years after that, there was another little book called uh, Heaven is for Real that was written by this little boy who, who died and, and went to heaven, came back and told his mom and dad about what he had seen. I love both of those books. I love that they're both compelling stories. Um, but that's not why I believe. As much as I love both of those, that's not why I believe. That life goes on past this mortal life, that's not why I believe. Um, my dad, uh, who, who passed away back in 1978, well the year before that, in 1977, my dad had a heart attack and died and, and was actually brought back with the uh, first responders with the, uh, the paddles, the defibrillator, whatever you call it. I know y'all have y'all nurses. Um, but later on, he would tell, my, I was a teenager at the time, and I did, he didn't tell me this, but he told my mom, and I found out years later that when he died, um, he, he saw a, a, a light and he went to the light and he saw his brothers that had died before him and his mom and dad who had died before him and they all had smiles on their faces and they were all welcoming him and he had the sensation of peace and joy and he wanted to go and join them and then he came, he came back to us uh, and he said after that experience he'd never be afraid of death again because he saw what was on the other side. Well, as beautiful and as comforting a story as that is, that's not even why I believe. I believe because of the one who made the promise. Because Jesus is light and in him is no darkness at all and he is truth and he cannot lie. He is the alpha and the omega and the beginning and the end and he opens the door and no one can close it and he closes the door and no one can open it. He is the resurrection and the life and those who believe in him will live on even when they die. He is faithful. The one who promised us is faithful. Even when old Pastor Sam is not faithful, 
even when I sin and my sin is great, his grace is greater. I believe because I trust the one that promised. It's just as simple as that. So now back to John eleven thirty five. 35. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? Have you ever stopped to ask that question? Why did Jesus weep? He didn't weep because he had lost Lazarus. He knew exactly where Lazarus was. And he knew that he was about to go and raise him from the dead. I really think that Jesus wept because his friends were sad and they were hurting. And Jesus was a compassionate heart and he, he wept with them. But just maybe Jesus wept some angry tears because maybe Jesus was angry at death, the final enemy which has to be defeated. And Jesus was about to do something about that. Have you ever known anybody that when they got good and mad, they, they cried? I think that Jesus knew that he was about to, to take away the keys of death and hell and that when he said, Lazarus, come forth from the grave, that he was setting into motion the victory over death and the grave that he would complete when he died himself and went to the grave and snatched the keys of death in the grave and rose from the dead, removing the sting of death once and for all. Jesus wept. The earliest Christian creed that we have is Jesus is Lord. And when we say Jesus is Lord, sometimes we mean Jesus is Lord of my life or the Lord of the church. or But Jesus is Lord of more than that. Jesus is Lord of the whole cosmos, heaven and earth. And even the grave couldn't hold him because love is stronger than death. Love is stronger than death. That is the hope that we cling to today. So where is the Lord when we hurt? Well, when we feel like that there's a Grief is like a cement block that's on top of our chest and we can't even breathe and we just don't know what to do. He is right there with us and his arms are around us. His arms feel a lot like those friends who came up and gave you a hug today. His shoulder feels a lot like that friend's shoulder you're crying on. And his face looks a lot like those who come and sit beside you Maybe bring you something to eat. Hold your hand and say, I love you and I'm so sorry and I'm here for you. I don't have um, all the answers. I'm not the smartest person in the room. But I do know this. I do know that when Jesus says, do you believe? I have to answer yes over and over again. Not because I'm great, not because I'm wonderful but because Jesus knows and Jesus cares and Jesus is faithful and Jesus is the resurrection and the life and I believe right now right this very minute that he's holding Sandy safely in his arms until the day we can see her again that I believe
I'm not sure who uh, is the person who's going to come, but somebody from the family is going to come and say some things now. You know who you are. Eva, Sandy's sister, or as she would call me, Eva Jo, and I would call her Sandra Jane. <laughs> she became Sandy um, when she grew up. Uh, I first want to thank everyone for being here. Uh, I know she really appreciates it and would be very grateful and honored that all of y'all came. Um, I don't think she would want us to mourn her either. I, don't, I think she would want us to celebrate her and celebrate her life. Because all of y'all that know Sandy knows that she was a big celebration. <laughs> and she liked to celebrate any and everything. Uh, whether it was her family, children, uh, my children, uh, birthdays, uh, neighbors. She's, she'd love to celebrate. She was a great hostess to everyone. Sandra was really more to me than a sister. She was really more like a mother. She always mothered all of my siblings as we were growing up. So it's no wonder that she grew up to be a great mother. She had a lot of practice <laughs> before she had you. She mothered me to the end. Uh, and you know she was a great mother because look at her great kids that she raised. She raised three incredible children that in turn have raised great children. I'm very proud of all of y'all. She was very proud of all of y'all. And I look at two future Miss Alabama standing up here and my handsome nephews. <laughs> uh, she was uh, <laughs> bossy, okay. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I think the last thing she said to me when I was at her house, when I went to visit her, and so I was trying to leave, she's like, "If my memory serves right, Eva, go in the kitchen and do that." So she bossed me all the way up to the very end. I remember as a child. One day, this handsome man appeared in a wonderful car, and it just so happened that it was at the time that the most popular show on television was Batman. And Papa Mike, it was him. He was Batman. <laughs> he looked just like Don West, and he drove the Batmobile. He had that fastback black uh, Mustang. So not only did I get the bragging rights that my sister's dating Batman, okay? 
it actually started me into business because I told all the kids in the neighborhood that Batman was dating my sister and for 10 cents, you could touch the Batmobile. <laughs> it's true. And then for five more cents, you could hide behind a bush and watch them for a little while because, see, Sandra was only 14 and we were only, we couldn't start dating until we were 15. But Papa Mike would come to our house, he'd go to church with us, and they'd sit on the front porch, and I would make a lot of dimes when they would do that. Okay? Uh, he has since, I've shared that story with him, he, would, he said to me, I was wondering why my car had all those smudges on me after I left your house. He had no, had no idea that, that I was selling him out. The bad thing about Sandra bringing Mike home and ended up marrying him three years later was I was totally misled because I thought that all men were going to be like Papa Mike. <laughs> I thought the first man that I would meet, I would fall in love with and marry and live happily ever after and he'd be wonderful. Still a little ticked at her about that <laughs> because as we all know, we have to kiss a lot of frogs if we're lucky enough to ever meet and find our Papa Mike. When we were growing up, I don't like to say that we were poor, but because we had plenty, but I had four sisters and we all slept in the same bedroom. So it was me, Sandy, Diane, and then Prissy and Nancy all in the same bedroom. I never slept by myself until I was way into high school. When she went and married Mike, I, I so missed her because I had a little room in the bed. And then when Diane went away, I had a whole bed. I was like, oh my God. And to this day, I have to surround myself with pillows in the bed because I grew up sleeping with my, my two sisters. And I so missed Sandy when she went away. I so missed, missed her. But they were nice. They let me visit, and I did all the time. They had an apartment over in East Gadsden, and I loved going over there. They always had M&Ms. I loved eating the M&Ms. As a matter of fact, I think Papa Mike moved him to Birmingham just to get away from me because I was over there so much. Okay. Um, well, before they got married, and when I was growing up, I was a tomboy. Big, big, big tomboy. I loved nothing better than playing army and crawling through the back alleys on my knees and basketball and baseball. And one day I was out in the yard playing with all my guy friends and Sandy called me in. She said, Eva, come here. Well, when Sandy said, spoke, we listened. And I went inside and she said, stand up against that wall. I said, yes, ma'am. Stood up against the wall. Then she put a book on my head. I thought she had lost her mind. I said, what are you doing? And she said, walk. So Sandra put a book on my head. She decided that I, it was time for me to become a lady. So she made me practice walking every day. Well, if that wasn't bad enough, the next thing I know, she had entered me in a beauty pageant. My godmother, Juanita, they got together and they made me this little green satin evening gown with little sequins on the sleeves and around the neck. 
the day of the pageant came, they took me to Merrill Norman. Do y'all remember Merrill Norman? And they put that hot stuff on your face. You thought your face was burning. They put all this makeup on and off to the beauty pageant that we went. And that began the, that began that journey and she was so proud. She, she made me, my sister Sandy made me. She literally made me. She was a great aunt. She was more like a grandmother to my children than she was an aunt, loved them. When I had my children who was meeting, greeting us at home, Sandy. As a matter of fact, when I had my son, I had, was having work done on my house and there was actually scaffolding inside my house. Sandy took down the scaffolding. I don't know how she did that. There was no way I was coming home with a new baby with scaffolding in my house. Uh, she loved my children. She loved all children. She loved pretty much everybody now that I think about it. Like I said, she was a great hostess, gave great parties. She was my bridesmaid in my first wedding. She was my wedding coordinator in <laughs> my second. <laughs> we, my husband, we got married in the Bahamas, and everybody down there wanted to know where they could hire that wedding coordinator that I had. That's how good she was. And I said, she's not a wedding coordinator, she's my sister. She gave me a bridal shower, and the good thing about her giving me a bridal shower, other than she threw the great party, she would tell you what you were buying me. So all the gifts, same thing with the baby shower, she would invite you and then tell you what to bring. She had a heart of gold, huge heart. She was a nurturer. She nurtured everybody. She wanted to make everybody happy. She worked real hard at that. Great businesswoman. She would work at her financial business and then during lunch she'd go to the choice and boss Mike around. And so she just never stopped working. She worked, worked, worked. Loved flowers, loved gardening. One thing that was kind of surprising that she and Papa Mike were competitive ballroom dancers. And the bad thing was Papa Mike was better than Sandy, but they were good together. It was fun to go and watch them, them dance together. I got to go and watch some of the competitions. She would help me in my business. She was vice president of Kidding Around Models. A lot of people don't know that. She was on everything I owned. She was on every bank, bank account, every financial account I owned. A lot of people didn't know that. She had my back. She had my back, always. In my business, we have to audition new talent, even babies, and she loved babies, and she would come over. One time she came over, and we would have a group of babies come in, and we take the babies to make sure that they're not clingers and that we can get them to, to smile. And every baby Sandra took, she told the parents, oh, they're so precious, this baby's the most beautiful baby. Believe me when I tell you, there's some ugly babies in this world. They're not all beautiful. But Sandra thought that every one of those babies were beautiful. The bad part about that story is the ones that we did not choose, we would get a phone call and the parents would say, are you choosing my baby? And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, 
at this time we can't take your baby. But that woman said they were the most beautiful, precious babies she had ever seen. And that was true. She did think that they were the most beautiful, precious babies that she ever saw. So I know, without a doubt, that my sister's in heaven, and I know she has Matthew, her son, and Rowan, her grandson, in her arms, and she's making up for lost time when she wasn't with them. A light in all of our lives has been dimmed. It will never go out. Sandy Self's light lives here. And I know in all y'all's hearts forever. And I thank God that I had her for as much the length of time that I did. And I thank God that she loved me. Mike and Missy and Mike and Mary, I want to thank you for the privilege and the honor to uh, be here, and Sam, uh, for the honor to be up here in this pulpit with you. Uh, I've, I've known Sam a long time. I knew him when he was Sammy, uh, so uh, now he's Dr. Sam, so, uh, uh, but it's good to um, be back here at Gadsden first and to share in this time of remembrance of a dear, dear person to me. Would you pray with me? Loving God, once again, I pray that you would rescue me from me, hide me behind your cross. Give me the words to say this day that you would have us here as your people gathered in this place. For I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, after 40 plus years of ministry and relating to countless families at uh, the time of the death of a loved one. One thing is apparent to me. Death is always an intrusion into our lives. No matter how prepared we might be, no matter the circumstances involved, death always seems to intrude into our lives like an unwanted and uninvited guest. Now that may seem particularly the case when death occurs in the Christmas season. Uh, in fact, more than one of you may be thinking how sad it is to be sad at Christmas. I mean, after all, Christmas is supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Christmas is supposed to be joyful and magical and, and, and filled with colored lights and in and enchanting sounds. Christmas is not supposed to be a time of grief, but a time of joy. Except it never really has been. For most of us, even when everything goes right and our children's faces light up when they open their gifts, uh, even when every kiss begins with K, sorry Benny, uh, and the love of our lives is delighted uh, even when the family gathers for wonderful meals and good times there is always a mixture of grief amidst the joy it's been 25 Christmases since my father died and eight since my mother's death but I miss them still and I will miss them 
and their presence around the table, no matter how wonderful everything else may be. The most wonderful time of the year has always been a mixture of joy and grief. And that mixture of joy and, and of grief is right there in the biblical stories of Christmas. Luke gushes about the holy night when Christ was born and, and how lowly shepherds saw the glory of the heavenly host and the choir of angels. The joy is there. Matthew's story of the Magi and their glorious discovery of the Christ child is equally joyful. But Matthew doesn't stop there. He shares another part of the story that we often overlook or ignore or gloss over. Listen to it. Begins in chapter 2, verse 16. After the Magi have gone home by another way, Matthew writes, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all of that region who were two years old or under, according to the time he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So you see, you see, even at that first Christmas, there was a mixture of joy and grief. So it has been and so it always will be. This year is no different from any other year, <laughs> except this year is the year that Sandy's self died. A few weeks ago, before she went in the hospital, Sandy called me. I was in the dairy aisle at Kroger <laughs> when her name popped up on my phone. Now, I, I suppose I could have, have uh, waited until I left the store and called her back, but um, I'd been planning to call, and, and she beat me to the punch. So standing there in front of the milk, <laughs> I answered. And it was so good to hear her voice. We'd not spoken in a while since the last time Deborah and I were here at, at the Variety and Antique Place. And uh, she quickly brought me up to date on the tests and the diagnosis and the planned surgery. And, and she told me that she was tying up loose ends uh, before going into the hospital. And she said, I talked to Sam and now I'm talking to you. I want the two of you to do my funeral. Now she told me that Sam had agreed to do so when he was 99. <laughs> that would have meant that Sandy and I would have been well over 100 since Sam is still a rather young pup. I, I thought that sounded like a good plan, so I told Sandy that I'd be happy to do her service when Sam was 99. And, and we laughed and we hoped it would be so. And then she moved on to talk about her family and what they were all up to. It was so, uh, a so sandy kind of conversation. 
She took care of business, then focused on her family. Well, well, actually, taking care of business was for her focusing on her family. <laughs> and wasn't that so sandy? I had a chance to last week to be in uh, Birmingham and to stop by UAB to spend a few minutes with Mike at, at her bedside. And, and he told me all the ducks that she had gotten in a row before going into the hospital. And I said, that's so sandy. That's our, that's our sandy. In the last few days, I thought about the first time that I met Sandy and Mike and Mary and uh, Michael and Natalie. Uh, I met others in the family later. But the first time was a Sunday morning here at Gadsden First, and they were visiting for the first time, and they sat at the back on that right-hand side, right about where Blake and, and Heather New are sitting now. I think y'all sit there most of the time after that. And I don't remember whether it was before or after the service that I went up to greet them, but I do remember Sandy's smile and the warmth of the whole family. And they discovered a church home in this place and added so much to this Gadsden First family. And that was, that was so Sandy to, to make a place for herself and her family. Deborah and I shared some memories uh, of Sandy that fit that so Sandy mold too. One Christmas when we were here, as part of the festivities, we played Dirty Santa. You know, that gift-giving game where people can steal a gift from someone else. Well, Deborah had gotten a, a Santa that I think was kind of, it was a metal thing, kind of like a doorstop. And, um, you know, the problem with Dirty Santa is that if you get a gift that you really like, you try to hide it so nobody else can see it and they won't steal it from you. Or if you get a gift that you really don't like, then you're worried that somebody won't steal it, you know, and you'll have to take it home. Well, Deborah got this Santa, and you guessed it, Sandy stole it from her when it was her turn. A couple of days later, Sandy came by the office to see me and she handed me a box to give to Deborah. It was the Santa Claus that she had stolen at the party. That was so Sandy, wasn't it? Sandy was a person of deep faith. My mother used to say that Baptists make good Methodists. My apologies to any Baptist who may be here today. Uh, but that was certainly the case with Wanda Thompson, and it was the case with Sandy Self, too. Uh, what faith she had. <laughs> she had an, uh, such faith in the overwhelming love of God for God's world and for God's children, and she lived out that faith in front of us all. I think Sandy might echo the Apostle Paul when he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died, so you will not grieve. Listen to this. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. 
For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. So you see, what makes this the most wonderful time of the year is not all the stuff that the world around us tells us. This is the most wonderful time of the year because to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's the truth. That's the truth that we hold on to in the midst of our grief. Nothing else will help us to weather the storm. Let us pray. O oh God, who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. You know our needs before we ask. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and of death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our death comes, may we die as those who go forth to live, so that living or dying, our life may be in you. And nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.
I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from henceforth. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. After we receive the benediction, uh, the family will, will be seated, and uh, after um, the casket is removed by the pallbearers, uh, you will be asked to, uh, to exit, and the family is going to stay. Thank you again for coming and celebrating Sandy's life with us. And now hear this benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again the dead of our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you for everything good that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs>